Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, I'm Rich Irani, and you're listening to Rich in Life. Today, I have Rabbi Toby Rubinstein. She's the author of House of Faith and Fashion. She happens to be a very glamorous woman and a fashion icon. We really talk about a lot of different topics from religion and how such a person of religion can turn out and be a rabbi since it's not really encouraged in our scriptures. Uh, she explains to me how that works and how dressing sexy, buying you know a lot of beautiful clothes that make her feel better and how she correlates that to religion and happiness. The name of her book is House of Faith and Fashion. Because I'm going to want to ask you, I know you said so far nothing is off limits. If there's something you don't want to answer, I will just say, no, no. You know what I'll do? This is my, you know how you have to have like a signal? We don't need a signal. Just say I don't want to answer. No, this is my signal. Oh, okay. That means no. Okay, good. I'm crossing my Manolos. Okay. The Manolos will be the signal of don't ask. I'm not answering. I'm not answering. No comment. Okay. So let's get started here. I want to make an introduction for my next guest, uh, Rabbi Toby Rubenstein. (laughs) Yep. That's right. That's listen, you're a rabbi. We're going to talk about that. And you're the author of House of Faith and Fashion. You're also a fashion icon. Beautiful. Yeah. I tried to get my copy, but I didn't get it yet. So, and I tried getting the Kendall, which is not available till I think April 30th. So this isn't going to be a fun interview for me because I'm actually going to be finding out everything for the first time. I usually read my guests books and although it's great when I come on, I know everything. So now I'm going to learn everything about you for the first time. And I guess we had a conversation before for, you know, just a few minutes. And I asked you, do you want me to call you rabbi? And you told me, Got it. No, her Manolo Blahniks are up. That means no. Yes, which it's funny because, you know, I respect that. I, I, you know, I grew up Orthodox and all the rabbis I've had were always men with a big beard and, you know, sometimes the food in it, what, you know, whatever the case is. So I'm, I'm not, I was never surrounded by, by women rabbis. So I'm not very familiar with rabbis. And you'll explain to me one of the things I really want to know. Go ahead. You started off as a Rebbitzin. You were a rabbi's wife. And you were Orthodox. I mean, your husband was he? Did you come from a from family or was it Hasidic? And are they one and the same? Okay, so you asked me three questions in one, so I'll just unpack the questions and I'll go one by one. Perfect, you got me. See, okay. you already know me. Okay, I I was raised Orthodox. Um, I went to an all girls yeshiva, which is a Jewish parochial school. Um, called Beis Yaakov, which is quite a, you know, quite a famous institution for girls, uh, girls learning. Um, I grew up in Queens, New York, in Kew Garden Hills, which is um, relatively now very religious, but at the time was um, a modern Orthodox community. And my very close family, like all of my cousins, um, are of Hasidic um, practice. And so it, it is different in the fact that, you know, Hasidish is different sects of different particular practices of Judaism based on, I mean, if you're getting again historical, this is all based on the Baal Shem Tov um, and his, his idea of learning Hasidish, which is the more spiritually based observation level than, than just straight learning like uh, modern orthodoxy. 
mean, that's what it should be. Okay, but for people listening, the Hasidic mm-hmm. is the people that wear the long coats and the yes. fur hats. So for yes. people listening that don't really know the difference yes, and don't yes, want yes. the history lesson, right, we'll exactly. tell you what it is. We'll define it by fashion. Yes, perfect. Perfect, perfect right? Yeah. Okay, so the modern Orthodox is really, you know, or Orthodox, um, you know, you really can't tell the difference between everybody. Everybody has an individual style. There's no set rules. You know, on the Sabbath, you get a little bit more dressed than you do on any other day. Um, some people cover their hair, some people don't, and I know we're going to discuss this issue. In the in the Hasidic community, they're known for their fabulous fur hats, their gray fur hats, their black long coats. Sometimes they wear knickers with socks, you know, and they have long, long like this. Peyote. You know, they're called peyote. They're the curls, peyotes. the sideburns that curl, yes. and they're yes. not allowed to cut them. And so that's what Hasidic is. Yes. Modern so, Orthodox is, I, I think your modern Orthodox, is that what you consider? I, you know, yes, I would like to, I would like to say that, but you know, labels right now are so discombobulated for the lack of a better word. So I don't know where one bleeds into the other. So I'm just going to say I'm, I'm in my own lane right now. Great. I love that. But I will say, because people can't see you, although they will see you on Instagram oh, through I the see. snippets, okay. but you are wearing a wig. We discussed it. And you said under the wig, you are G.I. Jane. You're literally shaved under. I'm, no, no. You know what? No, I'm not shaving for a religious reason. I'm shaving because I'm I'm going through chemotherapy sessions. Oh, that's right. You know, I'm fighting cancer right now, and so therefore, I I'd like to. You know, it's not. It has nothing to do with the religious practice. It happens to be that this is what I'm facing right now. Okay, so I need to know now. I'm sorry because I know it's in your book and I can't get the book. Do you mind sharing what kind of cancer you're going through? I have. Um, well, thankfully, um, I'm now at the you know at the better at the better part of uh, because everything was eliminated in surgery, but it was uterine cancer, malarian uterine cancer, um, actually stage four. And I went through four sessions of chemo um, before my surgery, which was uh, five weeks ago. And um, I, I return now next, actually tomorrow, to um, to do another two rounds of chemotherapy. So the fact that my hair is not even shaven, it's actually growing back in little spots, is because I, you know, this this is you know this is what I'm going through right now. So would you be wearing a wig if you did not go through chemotherapy and lose your yeah, hair? Yeah, I would, and but I can't tell you that, you know, I didn't wear this my whole life. This was kind of like. Part of my journey that I adapted, you know, covering my hair, and I and I also can't tell you because I, I have to, I you know, I got I got to be I got to be frank with you because I don't want to seem you know holier than thou and you know judgmental in any way or telling people what to do. I mean, it, it came at a really good time, you know. It came after like menopause when things the hair does my hair doesn't look so great, um, you know. So it's like somehow modesty rules became very very for me wearing a wig now is like a fashion statement so I've got a blue one I've got a purple one I've got a shorter one I've got you know whichever suits my mood well it's great because I feel like it works for you and your style and your personality and you started to say something before is that you went through so many different phases in life so what's interesting to me is you know growing up from an orthodox jewish community we knew, understood that by the jewish scripture the torah women are not allowed to put on tefillin, they're not allowed to, you know, stand on the altar. So now you coming from such a religious background, how did you wind up going from a Rebetzin who was somebody that believed in the very religious scripture, almost literally, to then defying all of it and becoming a rabbi, which 
was completely frowned upon. Okay, so uh, I'm going to backtrack your your question, and I'll I'll unpack it. The only qualification to be a rebbetzin is that you happen to be married to a rabbi. That you know, it's not like there's no degree that's attached to it. It's just a matter of like being the first lady of the United States. You're the first lady because you're married to the president. That's it. Um, whether you decide to do something with it or not is your choice, or even if you want to accept the title or not, it's your choice. I would say that while I was this Rebbiton in, you know, in the, I'd say it in the past life, I had, I had already started to become more curious and more and more um, interested in, in, in getting more into depth of, of my own, studying my own religion. Um, the path of going to a rabbi was really like we had discussed um, early, well, we had discussed in our private conversation was really, I'd like to say that it was virtuous, but in the beginning it was totally for revenge. I was tired of seeing my name being in the, in the press as wife number four. And I said, I refused, I refused to accept that title. That's a title I'm not taking. I'm going to repackage myself. So I did that. I went, I went back to seminary, but Getting back to your first question about my about my Hasidish family, uh, the, the funny story is is when I made this decision, it uh, it was right before Hanukkah, and um, I went to my my annual family dinner Hanukkah party in Borough Park. So it just goes to show you, you know, it's got all the ingredients: Borough Park, you know, Thirteenth Avenue between New Yushik and Thirteenth is where they live. And um, I went there, and I walked into I walked into the house, which 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 actually was you know if you could if I could paint the scene from you for you you know it's a big big dining room table, lots of kids jumping around. The focus everything is food, and at the head, plastic tablecloth, of course, because of course. it's easier to clean up. I mean, just <laughs> right, roll it up course. and throw it out, right? Exactly. So and latkes everywhere, and you know food sushi platters and latkes. You know what 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 can I tell you? Very Ashkenaz. Very, very Ashkenaz. So I, I said, okay, listen, I have an announcement. What? And in, in that world, my name is Tobolea. It's like, what Tobolea? And I said, I want to become a rabbi. And I thought I was going to get, you know, pardon the pun, crucified. And my uncle, in his infinite wisdom, pulled his chair out from the front, from the head of the table, put his fist on the table, banged on the table and said, Tobolea, if everything you've been through, you want to learn Torah, I'm 100% behind you, but you better be the best at what you're doing. And I was shocked, shocked. And so was everyone else because I wasn't, I was not prepared for that. Right. That, that, that journey became my salvation. I actually became more observant than I would have if I didn't take that journey in which, you know, some things could start off in life in a bad way. And then all of a sudden it turns into something you go, wow, it saved me. It so saved you. And she became my salvation. Okay, so I can't completely fly over the fact that you were the fourth wife of your yeah, rabbi husband. Okay, was that your first marriage? No. Oh, okay. So how many times were you married? Oh, uh, he I, he was. I was married twice, so he was number three. Wait, wait, wait. If you were married twice, oh, so you're married again. You got married after him. Yes. Yes. Okay. They, yes, I'm married, and I'm I'm married to the 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 greatest the greatest human being possible and he's absolutely fantastic and 
I couldn't have been going through this without being married to him. So God well, knew what he was doing. Well, you seem like a lot of fun. So I can't imagine anyone being married to you, even if you drove them crazy and have your eccentricities, which I can tell already you do. How could they not be having fun? You argue and make up blissfully for the rest of your life. My That's husband is laughing in the background. I'm listening to you. Watch, I want you to Because know. he knows I'm right. Am yes. I right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So then this is what people want to know, including what? me. Why in the world would a glamorous, vain, and kind of sexy woman like you, which you are, want to become, out of all things, after you get your divorce, a rabbi? I mean, why not a fashion designer? Why not work in the fashion industry? You're so into it. I mean, you roll with Patricia Field. I mean, for people that oh. don't know who Patricia Field is, she was the stylist for Sex in the City and is the iconic shop. Patricia Field's in New York City. I used to go to when I was young. So why would you want to do that? Oh, because I did, because, because I didn't, I didn't give anything up. I stayed in the fashion industry. I, you know, when I talk about the house of faith and fashion, it's my, it's my residence. This is where I live. I, I, I live combining both and I did stay in the fashion industry and I've been in the fashion industry up until, well, you know, I'm thinking about going back in for another event for New York Fashion Week. I produced the most incredible New York Fashion Week's event events possible. I closed down Central Park South to have a to have a, a moving runway with the horse and carriages. Um, with I had 90 million views for that particular uh, event for New York Fashion Week, which started um, all these outside of the box events in New York. You know, produced for New York Fashion Week. So I did stay in there. Because I really believe that, you know, if I'm going to live this, this life with authenticity, where I find, you know, Torah, biblical thought, Jewish thought within, you know, the arena of the fashion industry, I have to keep my pulse in both. And I love both. So I did not give up. And why? Because you can live in both worlds. One does not have to be excluded from another. And that's my point. That's my lane. It's my exclusive lane that I gave, that I, that I actually paved for myself. But there are many people in your community that may disagree with that. Don't, okay. Don't, no, okay. I love that. It's okay. They're entitled to what they think. Do you abide by the modesty laws? Like I know you have a chapter in your book, Modesty Schmodesty, and I love that. I kind of love it. I get it. But where do you fall in terms of maybe criticism? I'm sure you've heard criticism about maybe the way you dress. Do you abide by the modesty rules? Um. Do I buy do I buy by the master rules as far as here, here? To the knees, past the knees, and all of that. Um, I can't say that I'm I'm a total, you know, strict and yeah. so, and I can't tell you that I've always been that way. I've, you know, if, yes, when I was, you know, when I was in uh, in yeshiva, you know, they would they would put us up against the blackboard and measure our skirts every morning. And you got thrown out if you had your skirt that was, you know, above your knee. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've grown up with these kind of restrictions, but like I said, I really, I really have like evolved into under, you know, I was never understood that the modesty really begins within. If you're not modest within, it doesn't really matter what you're wearing. Right. The essay that I sent you about modesty, schmodesty is something that I lived through where this woman had approached me and embarrassed me in a, in a, in a public arena, a much younger person and she was Can you tell us the story well okay so i mean it was when i was it was when i was um a Robinson. and it was you know after services everybody comes over and says hello to you you know because that's what you normally do you go say hello to to the Robinson. 
I saw this woman from the corner of my eye and she was sash. She was, she was walking the aisle like it was the runway. She was sash. It was almost like I heard RuPaul go sash. <laughs> Jante. You know, I was like, that's what she's doing. Okay. And she had everything on, we'll say the phrase Al Pi Halacha, which means exactly to the law. However, her dress was poured on her and it, it poured on and it was one of these strapless dresses where she was wearing a, key, a flesh-colored kiki-riki underneath it, which is like the cheat sheet. That's what I call right. kiki So in other words, she's covered up, but not covered really. Up. She's covered wearing up, a, but not really because the exactly, illusion is exactly. there. Exactly. And she's wearing a shaitel that was like Lady Godiva shaitel, you know, long curls all the way down her back. She was A shaitel is a wig. A shaito is a wig. She's wearing long, you know, long one down to her back. And she's wearing the invisible platform, maybe there, maybe there. Right. But you know exactly. I don't know. But the invisible platform, flesh-colored blue bouton with, with stockings. She comes over to me and she's like, are you the Rebbitson? Like she's got a really thick, I mean, a good, I'm not going to tell you where in Brooklyn, but a good. A Brooklyn good, accent. It's that Brooklyn Borough Park. And I said, yes. And she said, well, what, why are you not covering your hair? Okay. So I had to like, really, if I could have just, if it was a videotape, I would- Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but didn't you say you were wearing a wig? I wasn't. I was wearing, oh, you were I not. Was wearing a fascinator. Okay, okay. I don't know what that is. Okay, fascinator, you know, like the, the, the little, the little, you know, the English, they wear that, like the headband with the little- Oh, yes, got it. Netting, okay. A fascinator. Right, okay. I was wearing a beautiful orange brocade Carolina Herrera suit and my gold embroidered Vanola Blahnik slides because that's my, like, that's like my signature. If I could have paused the tape and went, wait a second, let me pause this. Let me look at this further. I paused it in my head, go, wait, what, what am I wearing? Okay. And then I had to go into, okay, wow, this is crazy, but I can't react because I, I'm not going to go to her level. And I don't know, I don't even know what to say. I just said, good Shabbos, and I walked away. Good for you. You were a lady. I was just like, I don't know. I, I just. I See, that is a great example of when I talk about putting your best foot forward. You know, I always talk about in the podcast, putting your best foot forward, and I'm not always great at doing it. I try to implement it in my life, but you know, I'm sometimes grumpy and cynical. And so sometimes I'm not, but I try. And what's interesting is that I remember going to synagogue on holidays and the rabbis would make speeches about modesty that would go on really, and I'm not exaggerating, for 45 minutes, maybe an hour because I'd walk out. And it just felt so nonsensical. I felt like what they really could have been talking about during that time was examples of how everybody can be putting their best foot forward out in the world. And the reason why I say that, because you know I'm from Chucky's and I have a store, Chucky's, you've shopped in this store. And over the decades, we've had customers that were, you know, very rude. They, they, they would come in with the wig, they come in with the, you know, the long dresses and they would be rude. They tried to get away with things that were against the policy. And, you know, I didn't care for me. I understand. I don't only have religious customers that do that. Everyone does it. But mm -hmm. here you are so identifiable. Don't right. you think you should maybe put your best foot forward since you 100%. don't want to be known? 100%. And this is what I used to think, but of I course I never, you. you agree with me there, right? Totally, totally. Agree. You know what? Because it's, it's the same thing that I said to you before. It is, if you don't have the modesty inside, you're fooling, you're fooling yourself and, and you're not fooling God. So two things you're not doing, you're, you're not accomplishing. 
You're not accomplishing anything here within you and within your community and within the world. And you're not accomplishing anything up there either. You're just, you're completely, as I say, I, I could say brain dead when it comes to what really modesty really means. It's like, it's counterproductive. You're not, I agree No, with you. if you embarrass somebody or if you behave in a certain way and you bring, let's say this, this, there's a word called Chilul Hashem, which means an embarrassment to God. If you're, if you're creating that, but you're still, you know, wearing what you perceive to be, you know, the right attire, but you're behaving that way, it negates the whole thing that you're doing. Exactly. So that's why I have to say you did act really like a lady. I thought that was lovely the way you handled it. I just, but she, I have to thank her because she, I had many, 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 many lectures about this one incident where I just said, okay, here's the incident. How many sins happened in this particular encounter? And there's so many that it's it's beyond, even though. Uh, well, she embarrassed you. That is one sin. Well, the you know, that's, that's huge. That's yes. Like, that's a, a, the punishment is like death. Because so, right. So for people that are listening that don't really maybe know the depths of the Jewish law, embarrassing somebody is a, a very big sin. Right. Yes. It's a very big sin. Uh, the I, fact I, that she was, she, was maybe, she was maybe half my age. And she was half your age, so she's being disrespectful. I will say, going back to the modesty issue, I will say this: that I'm not a, you know, I'm not a prude. I don't mind, you know, sexy clothing, but I'm also not an advocate of it. Just because I'm in fashion and I've gone to all the fashion shows, we go to Paris, we go to Milan. Yeah, the girls walk down the runway half naked, and it's fun and it's great. But they're surrounded by security. They're surrounded by, you know, bodyguards. It's very different than when I see women out either at a party, at an affair, at a club, at a bar that are dressed very provocatively. So I will say it's not my thing. It's not my thing. I, I asked you earlier if you watched the Oscars and you said you didn't watch the Oscars. I didn't either, but I did my homework just in case. I mean, mm -hmm. most of the people there could be covered up, you know, in so many ways and still look great. It's just, you know, it's too much. I find but it's But you know, I, the one thing that I did my homework about the Oscars as well, because, you know, afterwards, I just like to see what everyone was like. There was a lot of um, modest cover-up um, outfits, a lot. A lot of the stars were completely all- Yes. So things are, I think things are changing a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Well, I, Laura I Dern wore something that was great. She wore the black and white feathers. feathers. Yeah. yeah, it was a little drastic. I probably would have liked it in all black better, but, you know, it was still beautiful. She's an older, you know, woman and she was covered up, but yet still oh, very sexy. Be, I don't mean older, careful. but I mean, listen, she, she wasn't careful. young. Like, I don't know who was the one that wore that gold Vera Wang that was slit all the way up to the thigh, cut out in oh, the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but and it's Vera Wang. Zendaya, right? No, Zendaya actually looked beautiful, right? Didn't Zendaya look beautiful in the yellow dress? And I'm not a- It was I'm not also a, cut out, right? It was also cut out, but- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She was, you know, it covered. The other one looked like a flimsy material. That was a very flimsy it was gold. A, it was a singer. Amda Day. Oh, okay. Amda Day was the one that wore the gold Vera Wang. Gold, oh yeah, the Vera Wang with the- It was a flimsy brand. with the yeah, slit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, so that was very my Studio Fifty Four, yeah. and then everyone made such a big deal about Regina King, which it's not my thing. You know, she I didn't wore like the. That. I didn't like I, that. It's not my thing. It's like the Jetsons. I mean, the only one that can get away with that is I forgot yeah. the the, the Judy cartoon. Judy Jetson. Yeah, was what was her name? Jetson. 
Judy Jetson. Judy Jetson. That's the only person that looks good on you. Yeah. So it's not my thing. Exactly. But I will say Halle Berry, now I'm the opposite of everyone, Toby, and I don't know why. Like I read the reviews and I don't know why. Sometimes I think maybe it's me. I love the way Halle Berry looked, except I didn't like her from the neck up. I thought her hair and makeup was off. I didn't like that vampire-y look, but I thought her Dolce & Gabbana dress was beautiful. So I read some of the reviews. They loved the way she looked. You know, they liked her makeup and her hair, but they didn't like the way she was dressed. So I'm kind of the opposite of, okay. of everybody, but whatever. Exactly. So we already covered, I think, that you beat to your own drum, regardless of what the Torah says and what the scripture says, you have to cover your elbows. Okay, but you know what? I can't say I beat to my own drum regardless of what the Torah says, because I really don't, I really don't, or I really try not to go against. Well, I'm not saying you run around in miniskirts and high no, heels no, no. Listen, and stand at the corner. I'm just saying, you know, you're... <laughs> You're I mean, dressed I, modestly, but I've not. had my I've had my mini I've had my mini skirts. I've had my you know my little poochie my little poochie dresses. Right. Oh, I've 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 had all that. I've been through I've been through a series. I've been through you know you're constantly changing to keep finding more and keep find becoming more educated. That's how you stay alive. I'm not stagnant where I'm gonna just stay in the same look for the last the last forty years and hope to God I look good. And then the more that I learn, the more I go, you know what, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, I get it. Instead of shoving it down my throat and saying, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to, knowing the reasons behind it and then understanding what the world has come and the, the world that you live in, sometimes things make more and more sense. And, you know, we had talked about Cardi B. As I see, I'm going to quote the WAP culture, for the, and I'm not going to explain what that is. As, I already know what that is, and I'm sure the audience As I see the web culture emerging as far as this is their version of, of a, a strong female, which is totally, totally whapped and warped, now I understand the backlash of covering up more. I go, you know what? Maybe it's the time that we live in where things that are not so revealed are much more... Um, you know, maybe they are more sacred because the more that's taken off, the more you want to go, you know what, I, I think I need to cover up because this is not powerful. This is not the message that I want to send. It's counterproductive for a female. You want to desexualize our ability because we've been too sexualized. In the meantime, you go and over-sexualize to a point that there's nothing left. Then, then all of a sudden, there's going to be a backlash of the other way. Everything seems to be hypocritical. Everything. Everything yes. seems to be hypocritical. I, yes. I don't want to get into it because it gets me angry. And I like putting my best foot forward, let everybody do what they want to do. But getting back to what you said, which I like, is that monitoring your fashion, the way it works for you, also keeps you happy as a religious woman. Keeping still the faith, it keeps you happy. I'm going to um, make that equivalent. I'm going to give you an example for me that's equivalent. So my mom passed away when, and my biggest anxiety was having to go to shul three times a day to say Kaddish for a year. I said, that's never going to happen. I'm not such a big shul goer. I don't like to go, but I love my mother. I wanted to do that. My father had passed away when I was very, very young. So, you know, now when his yurt site comes along, that's, uh, you know, every year, no it's like this ceremony. I'll go because it's a few days. My mom's saying Kaddish for, for a full year, three times a day was killing me. So what I actually did was I realized what works for me to do is I won't go in the morning. I'll do it in the evening. I'll do in the evening. I'll do Mincha Arbit every day. 
For people mm-hmm. that don't understand, it's kind of like the afternoon and evening prayer that goes back to back. I say what I have to say to lift my mother's soul, her spirit. And you know what? When I came to terms with doing that, I was able to do it for the full year. If I had really felt the pressures of having to abide by what I had to do, mm-hmm. it wouldn't. It would have lasted the first month, and then mm-hmm. that would have been it. Okay. So it's making things work for you, I think is very important. I think making things work for you while still being happy and still, you know, having a connection. Isn't that the point, Toby, to still have a connection? First of all, the, 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 the point is to always have the connection. Right. And the point is for you and your example um, of what you just said um, is very, very admirable because you really, you know, you knew what you had to do for your mother. And then, but you also knew your own personal constraints. So you came to some equilibrium, some middle ground that you could live with because you knew how important that prayer is. The number one, the number one thing that you knew was how important that prayer was. And then you worked yourself around making sure that was done for your mother. For the year. That was my goal. As exactly. I needed to do it. How was I going to do for the year? Right. Because that that's your obligation is the year. You're the son. That's your, you know, that's your obligation. But the fact is you should be a, you should be applauded and applaud yourself for the fact that that was your number one concern. And then you worked around it to know, okay, this is the situation I can put myself in where I can sustain the entire year and honor my mother. Yeah. So the funny thing is I have a lot of friends who are not Jewish and, uh, you know, we'd be down at the beach or we'd be away somewhere. And of course, I'd be so much fun up until a certain time, depending on sundown. And I turn into a lunatic and everybody around me just they would look at each other and, you know, they get scared for me. And they'd say just being Jewish is a full time job. Yes. It's a full time job because it wasn't like once a week. It was every single day. This is a full time -time job. job. But you know what? Working on yourself is a full time job. Yeah, I agree with that. There's no such thing as, you know, I'm going to have this, this formula is going to work for me and it's always going to work for me and it's never going to break down. And you're living in, you're living in an illusion. But Toby, people look at other people. I look at other people and I say, well, how come they can do this? How come I can't do it? I'm always looking around. And then I realize that the grass is not always greener and one size doesn't fit all. And I know those sound just like blanket, you know, things, statements or, but they really work because I understand that I maybe do things that they might not be able to do. You know, everything is kind of a give and take. Everybody has to make things work for themselves. You have to work around the problem. Yes, but but there is no such thing as anybody gets off scot free without any problems. And there is that's that's also that that's also living a a, a life of complete delusion. Everybody has problems. One way or the other, they have they have the ups and the downs, and that's life. And and the Torah teaches you how to deal with that. I mean, after a wonderful a wonderful six days of creation, all of a sudden, you know, the 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 two highest species that God created, they sinned, they fell. Okay, that's life. Get over it. Okay, now so we have to readjust. Now you you know you put into a different environment. I mean, just from the very beginning, you see how two people went from an elevated existence to to now living a common human existence with it, which they were not supposed to be living. They sinned and therefore God said, okay, you sin, where are you? Confess that you sin and let's readjust how you're gonna to have to live. And, and so 
that's life. All of all of the all of the 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 fathers and the mothers in the Torah, they were all flawed. They all had something. They all had to live through, you know, they couldn't give birth. They 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 sinned in one way. They had to be they had to be enslaved to their father-in-law. And nobody had a perfect life. There's no such thing. It's absolutely no such thing. So this starts from basically I, I keep bringing in the Torah, but the truth is they are examples of people. They fall, they get up. They fall, they get up. They say that you know a real uh, honorable person, a tzaddik, falls seven times and gets up. A tzaddik, for people who don't know, is a great, great person. That's a, a righteous person. It's yeah, a righteous, so a righteous person. person falls seven <clears throat> times, gets up. Got to get up. So-, so I try to live by the rule, and I teach my kids this to keep their eyes on their own paper. And I do the same thing for myself because it's always very easy to look at other people, especially in the fashion business. I design shoes. I have a shop. I go to Jeffrey's. I know Jeffrey Kalinsky very well. I see how he's doing. Then I see, right. see how I'm doing. You know, you can, you can spiral. It's so easy to spiral and always think that you're not good enough. But if you keep your eyes on your own paper and you just try to do the best you can, you realize that you are doing well. You know, like it really wasn't until I really learned to keep my eyes on my own paper that I realized that, hey, I'm doing well. I don't need to look at somebody else to think I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. You got to stay in your own lane. Stay in your lane. Keep your eyes on your own paper. That's that's what exactly. I try to live by. Another exactly. thing I, I find with myself, and I'm curious what you think of it. I'm not a fan of any extreme religion. No extreme, not Judaism, not, and I, you know, I, you know, I'm not putting down or judging anyone. I mean, the Hasidics, the from rabbis, you know, any religion, whether, you know, whatever it is, for some reason, I find it sometimes it can be detrimental to people. I think it can work against them. Where, where, how do you fall on that topic? Oh, well, that's, that's a very, very good topic because I have a, I have a saying, it's partially in Yiddish, but I'll explain it in English. Um, when you live a life where on one side, everything is maturnished, which means it's not allowed, or on the other side where everything is hefkevelt, which means a free world, either side is incredibly defective. Because by the way, and either side is extremely easy. If you go one way and everything is no, and you go to your Rebbe and they just tell you and you live your life not thinking, that's one way. And then on the other side where everything is free and you could do whatever you want, very, very easy. Very easy. It's like you're a parent. Can you imagine being a parent to your kid? Everything is yes, go ahead. You can have one messed up kid. And you say everything is no, you have one messed up kid. The key and the hardest thing to do is to stay balanced the hardest thing to do. And why? Because you have to be conscious all the time when you're balanced. You actually have to think. You have to think about God all the time or the situation and analyze it instead of going in either world and going, oh, I just go this way and it's no, I go this way and it's yes, so easy. And I really believe if you let, you know, if you study especially if you study the Rambam, who is, you know, or even Tanya, they, it's called the Benoni. The Benoni person is the one that stays the middle ground. Benoni. So the Benoni Benoni means you need to stay the middle ground. middle ground. The middle ground. The middle ground is where you learn to live in the house of faith and fashion. Okay. okay. I can have this, but I can do that. I can, and you're really consciously thinking all the time when you're making these decisions. So of course, any extremity is dangerous. Any- right. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. And I, I, th- I find myself to be very spiritual, but I am also um, 
what would you say? I'm, I'm, I'm ritualistic. I, I kind of, you know, like to keep the customs going. You know, I'm spiritual. I like to keep the customs going, but I'm traditional. I'm just, you know, I, the, the, the extreme religion drives me crazy. So I want to ask you, yeah, I just try to be respectful of everyone. I'm not judgmental of anyone, which I'm not judging you on this question. Do you believe it's a sin being gay? I mean, it says it in the Torah. It says it in the Bible. It says it in the Quran. Mm. Is it a sin well, being gay? I, I'm not, I, first of all, I'm, I'm, my, my concern is not the... the, the I know, I know. I know. I'm just bringing out a point for all the, I'm trying to bring out a point for other listeners. There are other listeners. No, no, I I understand what you're saying. I do understand what you're saying. It's, it's, first of all, it says to act upon, doesn't exactly, it doesn't exactly, it says to act upon this ritual. Um, I mean, this particular lifestyle. Do I, you know what, I'm, I'm so, I'm not a judgmental person. And I really don't want to like say, oh, you know, it, it says this, it's absolute, because it says a lot of things. I know a lot of things that people do a lot of, a lot of bad things. You know, it could be one, one particular arena that they do something bad, you know, they could, another particular arena, they could do something bad. So I'm not, I, you know, I don't, again, I stay, I stay within my, my lane and I don't, I don't want to be judgmental because I know people judge me. So I become extremely sensitive and saying, you know what, you're bad, you're good. You're, this is for God to decide. Okay, so just so you know, if you would have turned around and said, yes, I believe it's a sin, it wouldn't matter to me. No, no, Everyone, I understand. I just want I you to know. I totally understand. Yeah, I understand. It, it doesn't matter to me one way or another. If an, if my own family member believes it's a sin and doesn't believe in gay marriage, they're entitled to believe what they want to believe. Right. Right. I don't care. I'm not the guy that's going to, you know, send mm-hmm. you to court for not making me a cake. And I've said it many times on the show. Me and Brad, you don't want to make us a cake. Have a nice life. I'll go across the street. You know, we're not that people. But I do have to I do have to say, if you don't mind me interrupting, I, Please. Do, I do have an essay in this book. Um, uh, it's called Queen Esther is Not a Woman. And I do address the whole world that we live in, in this genderless world that we live in. Or, you know, a woman's not really a woman. Or, you know, I, 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 I this is where... Okay. Draw my line of being extremely upset about because what happens is I'm okay with what I am. I let you be okay with what you are, but don't negate me or erase me in order for you to feel better about yourself and redefine what it is to be me. I know that I'm a woman. Like I keep saying, you know what? I'd like to find a man that's going to survive uterine cancer. Ain't happening. Okay. Um, that's a good so, Okay. Ain't happening. I don't care what, I don't care what Nancy Pelosi says. Or any or anyone else. So this is where I find when you when you're taking away my identity in order for you to be clothed in your new identity does not work for me. I think we're on the same page as that. So you believe that there are two genders? Yeah. Yes, as I do. Because and do you believe in gender dysphoria? What's gender dysphoria exactly? Uh, gender dysphoria is somebody who is born, from what I know, I'm not an expert, but from what I understand is a person that is born, let's say, as a male with, with a penis, but identifies as a woman. And in his mind, he identifies as a woman. He feels like he's a woman from a young age. That's what gender dysphoria is. Now, I believe in gender dysphoria, and I believe there are some people that have just gender dysphoria, where I get confused, Toby, and tell me if you agree or not. When you're born, Gender dysphoria is not when you're born. It comes from within. 
It's from how you feel on the inside. So people that don't want to identify their babies as boys and girls doesn't make sense to me. You know, listen, if you want to do that, that's fine by you. I'm not going to judge if you want to let your baby decide their gender. But if you have a penis, you're a boy. If you have ovaries, you're a girl, you're a woman. Now, if you have um, gender dysphoria, when you get older and you feel like you're in the wrong body, that has nothing to do with your genitals. It's what's going on inside of you. And I believe people do have it. And if somebody wants to be called, you know, a woman uh, who is a man, I'll call them a woman out of respect. But I think that we also fall, you know, kind of on similar grounds ground with that I um or not maybe not no, I you know what um the fact that you want to not identify your child when your child is born to me is very um you know goes against my principles we have you know we have religious ceremonies for uh, for this particular thing so obviously I'm not going to you know you're going to tell me you're not going to give your kid a brisk because they haven't decided what their gender is that doesn't sit well with me I agree with you, and I'm gonna, with you on you're that. Gonna, you're going to tell me that you're not going to have, you know, a shalom zahar or shalom nekeva, um, which means that, you know, a, a party or for the particular, you know, if you have a boy or a girl, celebrate it. That doesn't sit well with me. And then you're saying, you're saying to God, you know what? Um, I don't accept this. This is not what I want. I, you know, I want something different. Um, that gets into the that gets into this whole thing. And if you, as a responsible parent, don't you direct your child also, or you're just going to say, oh, my child's born, I'll let them do whatever the, whatever they want to do. I mean, that's not a responsible parent. Well, no, but the problem is you have so many people out there um, that are wreaking havoc on our children saying, you know, you're being applauded now if you come out as being well, yes, um, yes. trans. Yes, and... yes. You know, just, just because the whole world's gone mad doesn't mean I'm going mad. Right. Um, you know, the, key, the, the challenge right now is to hang on to your sanity. Um, right and your identification um and i'm hanging on okay so all that being said you spoke you know you brought up nancy pelosi since we're going there how do you feel about people like uh, first of all are you a zionist i asked you this and i got the answer but i want other people to know are you a zionist you're a very modern woman you're a very modern woman i love you're israel it's my happy place Okay, so being a Zionist, how do you feel about, and you believe obviously being a Zionist that Israel has the right to exist. So how do you feel about people like Elizabeth Warren um, coming out and saying they wanna stop aid to Israel or um, AOC or Rashida Tlaib saying that they are supporting the BDS movement and they want everybody else to support the BDS movement. The BDS well, movement for people that are listening that may not know is the boycott divestment sanctions. It's which basically- Which is fabulous that it's so, it's so poorly labeled. So nobody knows what it is. No, they don't know what it is, but they, mm -hmm. what it's saying, it's let, let's boycott everything made in Israel because we believe Israel doesn't have the right to exist. However, if you need medications for your mother or your grandmother to keep them alive, that's made in Israel, you'll get that. If you need a chip for your phone, you'll get that. If you need a new right. computer, you'll get that. So, you know, I don't, and, and again, Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I think what bothers me is that when you have people in Congress so high up spewing opinions and changing legislation, that is where I have my problem. And it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You can be a Democrat and still not be happy with the way Rashida Tlaib, AOC, and most of now these Democrats are acting. Do you find yourself- okay, So that's, that, uh, that's a loaded question. So I'm gonna I know it is. I'm surprised okay. I asked it. No, that's okay. Um, I happen to- Brad is cr cringing behind me. That's okay. He's like, why are you getting into that? Okay, I happen to be, my, my maternal grandparents are both born in Jerusalem. 
um, in um, British-occupied Palestine. Um, and let me use the word British-occupied Palestine. Um, so there were Jews that are living there. My grandmother happens to be, I think it's so they tell me 14 generations. Um, so way, 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 way back. Um, so the idea that um, Jews did not live there and they have no right to live there is ri ridiculous. And secondly, I know that this, you know, I know that the United Nations, you know, voted in 1948 for it to become a state. Uh, it, it's so interesting how that they'll ignore but the sanction, the, but the UN currently, when it sanctions Israel for all these supposed crimes that they do, that they take. So you can't pick and choose what you decide to, to believe in, okay? And aside from the fact that, yes, um, we did exist in Israel a very, very long time in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the Quran, we were always there. So we didn't, this wasn't something new. We didn't come in and, and, and assassinate everybody and take over the land like like we did in the United States, okay? So, um, you know, you're a hypocrite if you're living in any state in, in, in the United States and think that you're not living on, you know, territory that belonged to somebody else and now you live there. Um, and the fact that they want to sanction this and, and not give us aid, you know, I saw something very interesting. I think it was, I think it was Menachem Begin. I hope, I hope I have my facts right. That the last time that Biden, um, once, uh, when he was, back way back in his yeah, a thousand years ago uh -huh. when he wanted to um, stop aid for Israel and he and Menachem Begin had said you know we're not going to beg you for our existence Israel doesn't have to beg anybody they, I remember this thank God thank God that Israel is a thriving country that's that's incredibly innovative and smart and keeps building and rebuilding <laughs> And didn't he deny the aid? If I'm correct, I could be I wrong, but I think I, I he denied the aid. I don't know. I don't remember what happened. But we, I'm sure I'll get people correcting me. But I, sure, if I remember, but, you know, thank, thankfully, you see for everything that you see in BDS, you see all the deals that Israel's making with their new partners in in United Arab Emirates, um, Morocco. You see all deals. You could open up your phone and see how many billions of dollars of deals that are being done right now. So Israel's not going anywhere. You know, so yeah, we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere, and and that's it. But the trend in Congress now, and in Congress specifically, because I don't really, I, I mean, I do see the trend out on the streets, but okay. the anti-Semitism, the trend yes. on anti-Semitism yes. in Congress seems to be more tolerated than anything. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, I, I can't tell you that the United the United States hasn't changed drastically within even you know the last ten years, the last five years. Um, it has become a more, it, it be, has become in general, a more hateful, divisive society, not just anti-Semitism, anti-everything. Everybody's anti-everything against everybody. Now, I'm not quite sure if that's the way people feel or they're being manipulated into feeling that way because the divided people is, a, is, a, is, is an easy way for people to fall when they're divided. Well, what I tell my, what I tell, I, not really my friends, but what I tell Brad a lot and when I discuss it with certain people is people get Jim Jones. You remember who Jim Jones was? Oh yeah, the he was Kool -Aid. the guy, the Kool Aid. He literally Kool -Aid. made people drink, drink Kool Aid, Kool -Aid to kill themselves. So now right. people are literally drinking the Kool Aid to say that everyone else is better than Americans. 
free this, free healthcare, free school, free everything. Now, I'm not saying that I don't want the best for everybody in the world. I do, but we have to take care of our country first, and then we go back and take care of other people. But we first have to put the mask on our face, like they tell you on the airplane, and take care of yourself, and we'll come back for everyone else later. But everyone seems to be getting Jim Jones here and being you know, brainwashed into these crazy ideologies. Now, our kids go to a school now. I don't know what Brad and I are going to do if they turn around and say, you know, our kids either A, have to be vaccinated or B, they want to talk about white privilege. I don't, I don't envy you. I'm so happy that I'm, I'm I don't. You're have- out of the woods. I'm out of the woods, and I, I don't I don't envy you in any way because the the world is getting the world is is getting crazier and crazier and and the and the it seems like things are getting more twisted and twisted and twisted, and I don't envy you. It's a, it's it is a full time job to hold on to your own identity. It's a full time job, and it's a struggle. And yes. I will say this is that I was talking to a friend the other night, and we happened to have been talking about Megan Megan Markle and you know, her whole, that whole thing with Oprah. And what I was saying is that if you're lucky enough to find a person you're attracted to, your soulmate at such a young age, and he happens to be a prince and he loves you, (laughs) shut up and put your head down, right? Shut up, show modesty, put your head down and shut up. I mean, my joke was watch Judge Judy, watch a couple of episodes. People sue their children, their sisters, their brothers, their mother-in-law, they kill each other. So you had friction with somebody who you won't even name far, you know, far into the, you know, relative uh, uh, pool. So what? It's just so tone deaf. And I guess the thing that's really upsetting is the fact that the notoriety they get for saying that there is racism there. That's the part where nobody sits and, you know, debates that. You're, you know, you get, you're, you're called a racist if you debate the fact that, you know, you don't like what she said. So my friend told me, and I said, I don't, he, and he said, you know, what the blacks have gone through. And I said, I don't really see color. He's like, well, you should see color. You should see. And I said, I didn't say this, but I wish I had said, but isn't that exactly the opposite of what Martin Luther King said? Don't judge people by their race by their color, judge them by the content of their character. I didn't say it because I didn't want to have an argument. So my question is, do you find all this talk about racism is making people maybe look at race more and maybe become more racist? Oh, wow. I know, I mean. You're asking me very, very loaded questions, but. I know. It just so happens. I'm going to need bodyguards for my kids, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying one way or the other, but we need to be able to have a discussion about it. Here is, you know, I've never gone this heavy into the show, but because I have you and you're so open and since I'm already have death threats on me, I'm able to talk. I don't want any death threats. You know, I have two essays in my book um, of my personal experience within the black community whom I really, it's just, I have so many close friends. I, I always, you know, I never see, I've never seen color. And 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 the, the truth is I've never seen color because I, I learned an incredible lesson from my very, very orthodox daddy, my daddy. Um, my, whereas my, my, my maternal parents were born in Jerusalem. My, my, my father, my, my father was born in Queens, in Jamaica, Queens. My grandparents immigrated from, from Poland before World War I, and they came here very, very early. And my, my grandfather, 
who was a very orthodox man at the time of the depression needed needed money you know to feed his 13 children and they they had spent some time living in in mobile alabama you can imagine okay my father, when I was a little girl, used to tell me about all these great stories about living in Mobile, Alabama. He used to put on this thick Southern accent, and he used to tell me about he used to have this little yeshiva in the backyard and teach his brothers and sisters, you know, and they loved it, and it was so much fun and whatever. And it was just an enjoyable story, especially to hear your father when you're a little girl talking this really, really, you know, really, really heavy drawl, and he exaggerated everything, and it was just fun. So... One day when I was when I was uh, I was living here in Queens, I think I might have been maybe seven or eight. I took part in a very very bad uh, behavior with the with the kids of my block and started making fun of a of a black woman who was uh, somebody's cleaning lady who was walking towards Main Street. She was beautifully dressed and she's walking in, in in the street and we all started making fun of her because my neighbor started this whole thing and I want to be part of it, so I started it. My father saw it. My, first of all, my, father's, my father was, and may he rest in peace, 6'3". He's a big guy. My father took me out of the street, grabbed me by my dress, dragged me home, sat me down in my living room, and said, again, when I'm in trouble, they call me Tobalea. Tobalea, do you want to know the real story about the South? Do you know that it said no Jews, no Blacks, no dogs? Who the hell do you think you are? My father gave it to me so bad, so bad. I mean, it's like, you, you know what I saw down south? You think it was whatever, you know what I saw? You know what my, my brothers and sisters saw? Don't you ever, ever, you better remember who you are. From that day on, I never, ever saw color, ever, ever. I was always like, you know what? This doesn't exist. My daughter doesn't see it. I don't see it. I have the closest of friends. And I'm, I don't mean to say, oh, you know, I have, you know, somebody says, oh, so I have some friends that are Jewish. You know, I really, really do because they're great people. So I learned my lesson as a, as a little girl. And boy, did I learn. I never, my, my father never hit me. He only hit me that one time. He was so angry at me. Right. And actually that essay is called Father's Matter. It's in my influencers section because I believe that influencers are not people that are on Instagram. They're people that actually influence your life. My father and what he did for me. My father changed my whole, my, changed my whole viewing of, of the rest of the world for the rest of my life. Now on a funnier note, I had an encounter with 50 cents um, whom I love. I'm telling you, hello, if you're listening 50 cent, you could do no wrong by me. Um, you like his music too? Not necessarily. Except oh, you like him? Okay. It's, his, it's your birthday. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Great. But you know, it's funny because I, in, within the family, within my Hasidish family, I had one of my little cousins who who went off the path of you know he didn't want to be religious. He wanted to be called Johnny. He wanted to be a rapper. He wanted to drop out of yeshiva. I mean, he was just like he didn't want to do anything. So my my cousins were just completely. Uh, you know, didn't know what to do with themselves. I said, you know what, uh, I'm going to send them to you for a little while. And he came to me for this. He came to, to stay with me for the summer in the, in, uh, in the Hamptons. And I said, if you behave yourself and if you do the right thing, you go to synagogue, you behave yourself, you, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that. I'm going to have an amazing thing for you at the end of the summer. I promise. Amazing. 
So because I was cool, but by the way, in my fashion, in my fashion world, I owned a hip hop company. I was the first female owned hip hop company that did an exclusive urban line for Kmart called Cheddar. So I, you know, I, I can live in both of those worlds. So um, at the end of the summer, I had arranged with a friend of mine. His name was uh, Seth Gertzberg. He owned a company called Echo. Um, Echo had just purchased G-Unit. And I said, I'm gonna take you to the headquarters of Echo. And I took him and his mother to the headquarters at Echo, which was, was then on, um, on Union, near Union Square. It was an incredible building. It was the old Hasbro building. It was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And we get there and the owner of, of Echo comes out and he's wearing a big white yarmulke. And he says, and he's a religious guy. He says, hi, I won't say his name because he'll kill me. Hi, how are you? Welcome to Echo Land. My cousin was just, he was maybe, I don't think he was 10 years old. His eyes were busting out of his head. He's going everywhere. He's getting all this merchandise. And I said, oh, why? Well, I saved the best for last. And we go up to the top floor to G unit. And it was blinked out to the max. And all of a sudden out comes a bodyguard and then comes 50 Cent. And 50 Cent says, are you, and calls him by his Yiddish name. He says, are you so-and-so? And I, this kid almost fainted. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he brings him over to one of like one of the showroom tables. He takes out, he takes out one of his blinged out G-unit sweatshirts and he said, you better stay in yeshiva. Can I tell you something? Changed this kid's life. Never did he ever want to be called Johnny again. He was like, he thought, wait, how did 50 Cent even know? Well, because, because we prearranged it. That said, oh, okay. This, this kid is coming up and this kid is going to, you know, he's got a problem. So let's arrange it. He's good. He was not going to know what to do. And I have to tell you something. My entire Bubov Hasidish family is total gratitude to 50 Cent. He can, he, what can I tell you? It was, yeah. It was unbelievable. So yeah, that's I, a great story. I just don't, I just don't, you know what? The one thing I've also learned, you know, you get, you get older, you get wiser. And then unfortunately, you know, to some people, you know, you have a sickness situation in which you realize, you know, your life is precious. Every day is precious. Precious. I don't get involved in the, the narrative of the popular just because it's popular is it's not interesting to me anymore. I, mean, I agree with you. The problem I is it. I don't need it. I agree and with you. you. The to. problem is it's being thrust upon us so aggressively that at some point you have to take some kind of a stand. Now I'm not taking any other stand other than being able to have a discussion about it. I, right. you know, I agree with you. I'm totally, I, you know, when I say I go by character, I go by values. That's right. who I want to be surrounded by. I don't care what color you are. I don't yeah. care right. what race, religion you are. I don't. Right. If your values are similar to mine, they're aligned with mine, come on in, come on over. So I'm with you. Okay, so, so on a funny note. When, when you find those people yeah. align with, you hang on for dear life. That's what I do. That's, that's what, what I do. Have, now that's what you have to do. Yes, and, and we do that. And ironically, you know, most of them are not even Jewish. So, you know, I grew up not knowing anybody else because I went to yeshiva, but as I became an adult, you know, in the last 20 years, I've expanded my friendships and they're terrific. And I really value the ones that I have. Something yes, made me laugh. I know you were a shopaholic. You love shoes. It was your thing. And you found Still a way. To, thing. I know it is, but you found a way to justify it. Do you remember oh. what you said about justifying all these beautiful, sexy, and expensive shoes you were buying. Well, are you talking about my essay in the book called Walk in My Shoes? Yes. 
which I which I dress my obsession with Manolo Blahnik. Yes. Who, who made this wonderful, wonderful quote about how he saved so many marriages. And I said, you know, this is like a shalom bias, um, which means that the, the peace in the home. Can peace be, in the home. Peace in the home can be acquired by letting your wife buy a pair of <laughs> a lot of shoes. Um, aside from all that, you know, the, the, the Torah discusses the, the, the sanctity of shoes and when to wear it and when not to wear it. And, you know, I hate to equate this and put this on like, you know, any kind of sad note. I mean, there's, there's a reason why the Nazis took all the shoes from the Jews and collected them because when you have no shoes, it takes away your dignity. It takes away your, the core, your, it takes away your, your, how you can balance yourself on the earth. And on the opposite side, when the idea of not wearing shoes, especially in the holy temple with a with the high priest, they had to take off their shoes at certain times because they had to show respect to God that they have to be to the ground. So shoes have a holy um, presence. Now, did did I take it to the extreme and say, you know what? So go out and buy, go out and buy your Manolo Blahniks and don't feel guilty about it? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Why not? Why not relish in the most beautiful, unbelievably gorgeous shoes? You deserve. I'm it. down with that. I'm down with yeah, that. Yeah, of I think course. That's and good... go shopping at Chucky's. Absolutely. And go shopping at Chucky's and buy the shoes and just put your best foot forward. That's I don't right. mean. I mean literally and figuratively. Tell exactly. Me what's next for you? I know that you had at one point. Did you have a reality show? Yes. You Actually, did. You need um, to relaunch. I know. You know what. The, the show was- And I need to be in it with you. Yes, the show came- together. Yes, the show came at a time actually where people, you know, they were more interested in me becoming a housewife of you know, the housewife series, mm -hmm. actually doing anything that had any depth to it. Like there wasn't enough screaming and yelling and hair pulling and turning over tables because I wanted to talk about God. Um, but I think we've come to a point now where I think it's really, really important. Right now, you know, the, the book is officially launching on my birthday, which is May 13th. Um, You're a Taurus. I'm a Taurus. Oh, like my mom. Happy birthday. Thank you. And so you can get the book at on my website now at um, thehouseoffaithandfashion.com. But then it's going on, like you had said, Kindle. Um, it's going on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Borders. And I'm thank God enough people want to talk to me to promote this book. So I'm kind of excited about it. But I already started writing book number two. Oh, good. Okay. I, I'm excited to read book number one. I mean, basically, okay, you'll the get it things, for sure. I know. I, I, yeah, I can't wait to get it. And um, it was so great to talk to you. We really Thank covered you. a lot of topics. I mean, you're really so well-rounded. You have so many things in terms of, you know, being not only just a mom, but becoming a rabbi out of rebellion, but it did catapult you to be a better person and to right. being such a fashion icon, good person. And now you're Thank surviving. You. Now you're yeah. becoming a cancer survivor. And you're doing yes. it with such grace and dignity and looking Thank beautiful you. while you're doing it. So I have to hand Thank it to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. It was, so nice. it was so nice talking to the guy that where I used to shop for shoes. Me Do you remember me or no? Did I ever wait on you? Do you remember? Did you have a store in the 30s also? No. On 63rd and 3rd Avenue. 63rd and 3rd Avenue because on 62nd between second between second and third so you definitely definitely yes shopped. i mean i know i shopped by you because i can i can you know there's I can, I can tell you what i bought there but then you also have on 85th 86th 86th and madison which we had just closed so now we relocated to 74th and lexington 
Oh, great. So do you still sell the same caliber of shoes? I, when I look at you, I, when I think of you, I think about the um, Stella McCarthy. Yeah, uh, Stella McCartney. Huge platform, like the shoe yeah the like creepers it. yeah it's yes. funny yes we still do the creepers we still carry stella it changed the mix changed a little because people don't want to spend a thousand dollars on a sneaker anymore so you know right. we kind of cut out certain collections and we narrowed down to what's relevant today so and you yeah. do bags also still yeah we still do bags in yeah, the back in the in the showcase yep. in the showcase we still have bags we kind of just you know we kind of weed out a lot of stuff that looks like it could be old or too expensive and we bring in what we think is relevant at the moment oh great okay good well, well i can't wait to see you and uh, i'd like in to person. meet you in person yes Me too. But in the meantime go get my book i can't wait the house of faith and fashion what my wardrobe taught me about god what your wardrobe taught you about God. See, that's yeah. what I want to read. And I'm probably going to blow up some uh, some of those uh, pages and put them in the store. Oh, good. Thank that's you. going to be a good help for people to really justify spending money on themselves. Yes, yeah, see, exactly. It says in this book that you should buy those expensive shoes. Buy them here. Toby says it. She gives you permission. I do. Even Toby, I give thank you. I give you a blessing. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Bye. Nice you. Bye-bye. Same here. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.